and welcome to the September edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Ginolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. The end of August means the end of the August recess for Congress, which really didn't entirely happen this summer, did it? Not at all. They had to come back into session on the House side. They sort of left town on the Senate side, but not for the full month. The end of August also means hurricanes, and we'll get into that also. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to talk about Hurricane Ida and the other inevitable storms that are still coming and how well the U.S. is prepared to handle those storms. We'll also talk about the state of New Jersey. It's it's sinking. So uh, there's a couple factors to think about there um, and what that means for the future of the state. And it's got a massive beach nourishment program and how that's all going to be handled into the future. And of course, we'll provide a legislative update uh, and news on Capitol Hill. And today we're going to get started with that. So Howard, if you would be so kind, get us kicked off. Well, it's a fine mess that we find ourselves in right now. As we begin September, the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, as we know from last month, has passed the Senate. But it's being held hostage in the House to a $3.5 trillion social spending bill. That is really a key part of the President Biden's agenda. House committees are working right now on different parts of that package, and expected to have it completed for a vote in the whole full House by the end of this month, although nothing uh, related to deadlines right now is anywhere close to being solidly predictable. Um, what's happening is really uh, a lot of partisan politics, but it's a little different than we've talked about in the past, because this time it's Democrats versus Democrats. In the House, a group of moderate Democrats wanted to see the Senate, wanted to get a vote on the Senate-passed infrastructure bill, ASAP. But a group of progressives said, oh no, we want to vote on the $3.5 trillion social spending package, which includes immigration and a bunch of other things. Oh, and tax increases. So they won't vote, the progressives won't vote on an infrastructure, or even vote for an infrastructure bill until they have that uh, done first, until they have that package passed. So Speaker Pelosi has taken their side, and so they're working, as I said, uh, real fast to get the uh, the package put together. And they, Speaker Pelosi is in a position where she can't afford to lose more than three votes because all the Republicans have been told by their leadership to vote no on both packages. And so there's going to be nothing like bipartisanship that we saw in the Senate uh, when it came to at least infrastructure. So another thing, while that's going on, legislation to fund the government agencies, normal uh, 12 appropriation bills, it doesn't look like they're going to be acted on until that mess that I've just talked about is resolved. And that brings a problem because September 30th marks the end of the federal fiscal year. So with no funding bills, that means that uh, Congress will have to pass a temporary funding measure. And this continuing resolution, as it's known, keeps the government funded at the previous year's levels. And it's a fairly safe prediction that one or more of these CRs is going to be needed until everything, hopefully, gets ironed out by the end of December. Well, if that isn't enough of a mess to contemplate, the federal government is reaching its debt limit about uh, this fall. So that's the point where the government can't pay off its interest or principal 
on a debt that it already has, not to mention the debt that it's going to have. So this happens periodically and is usually resolved in a bipartisan fashion by raising the limit. But we just can't expect that to happen in, uh, or to come easily, and I don't know what the Republicans will hold hostage. This is important money. Oh, yes. I mean, I think that's obvious, but especially in the midst of hurricane season, when we've when Ida has literally just blown Louisiana to bits. Yes. The the measly amount of money, which is a lot, you know, to us, two hundred and fifty one million. million. Yeah. For the core, Isn't which I know when we're talking, when, we're talking trillions exactly. and billions, and yeah. here we're, you know, we're acting like two hundred and fifty one million it's is measly. a lot for the core, but it's that's measly. that's an incredible amount of money to that is badly needed and. As soon as this bill gets passed, there's going to be additional funds available already. You know, Congress doesn't need to put together another disaster supplemental bill uh, for FY22. Um, they, that money will be there as soon as as yeah, soon as this bill passes. It absolutely will be. But so you know, you have that. There are also COVID relief programs that are going on that will need the debt limit to pass because they're being financed by money, which is being financed by debt. So it's uh, huge, not to mention daily operations of government. We've seen that sort of come to a stop before, and I don't think either party wants that to happen right now. So they'll have to resolve it, but I I really couldn't predict how they're going to resolve that right now. And some of that money, that some of this, you know, the huge dollar figure that's in the infrastructure bill is hopefully enough to cover both 2020 and 2021 disasters. Yeah. Um, you have to hope that. You know, we don't know yet what the extent of disasters are going to be for 21. Um, this season, as we're going to talk about in a moment, it's just getting started in its heaviest part. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to dodge some more bullets, but we already got hit by one. Yeah, and I mean, if you check if you check the hurricane National Hurricane Center, it's something different every day. There's a new storm. There's, I mean, it's it's getting to that point now. Uh, September 10th is the peak of hurricane season, so there's Ooh. storms coming all the time. You know, and I don't remember what it was, but there were back in November. I think it was 2005. Was it Hurricane Ike? Something oh, hit yes. late late yep. November. Yes, uh, into the Gulf. I mean, it it oh, that water stays warm for a long time and. We've had late, some late hurricanes over the last decade or more, and so it's a little dangerous to talk about peaks, which yeah. is, you know, you're right, it is the normal peak, but there is no normal, and we're seeing that with fires out in the West. We're seeing that with flooding that's gone on last year, particularly, and the year before. We call it global, you know, we call it climate change now, but it used yes. to be global warming, but uh, you yes. want to use that term for a second, because when it comes to hurricanes... Warming is really what makes these things so ferocious. It's the warm water that, that lingers out there for a long time. And yeah. that's why we're seeing storms just dump rain and rain. And, um, you know, it's becoming clearer and clearer that, that climate change or global warming, whatever you want to refer to it, is having an impact on the entire country. You know, beyond hurricanes, for, you know, forest fires, inland flooding. Um, and, of course, the coastal storms are more frequent. Um, these are almost everyday events, right? Yeah, um, it, 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 you know, I tried to think back recently about uh, my earlier years. And I can remember strong tropical storms. I can remember hurricanes. But never with this frequency that we've had them over the last decade plus. 
so, you know, you have to look back to Katrina probably as a turning point in terms of frequency when things started to pick up, not only in the number of storms, but in their severity. Well, and, Hurricane Sandy was, what, a Category 1 when it made landfall? Really, yeah. And, and basically, they call it Superstorm Sandy because whether it was a hurricane or not is open to question, you right. know, at the time it hit. So it's called Superstorm because it was sort of a, a nor'easter combined with a bit of a tropical cyclone, and the nor'easters just churn away. Right. They just sit there, and the rain well, compared, comes down. How, how do you think compared to, let's, let's go all the way back to, uh, you know, Harvey, Irma, Maria, S- Sandy, um, you know, all of those storms. What's changed? Because it, it seems like the storms are getting stronger and more frequent. And we get these disaster supplementals, but then sometimes, or well, it just as as fact, it doesn't seem like there's been a, a huge change to our infrastructure. I know they've worked on the levees and things, and at least as far as I've heard, they've held up in Louisiana. Right. Um, yeah, they, they did work certainly on Katrina. That seems to have helped significantly, at least uh, in keeping the area that was hit by Katrina uh, with less damage, much less damage. Other areas surrounding that surrounding uh, uh, downtown New Orleans. Uh, It got a lot of flooding, but even downtown New Orleans, uh, you know, I saw a lot of stuff that indicated it was bad, but nowhere near as bad as Katrina. However, no two storms are alike, so it's a little hard to tell. But I think from the standpoint of what has taken place, you have to look at it this way. We've invested money. I don't know what the total amount of money is in disaster supplementals, since Katrina, but we keep on investing money in that. The $250 million you mentioned is only Corps of Engineers stuff, not to mention even the FEMA uh, costs that are involved, which are huge. Right. So, uh, and while if you look at it right now, what has changed is not much. The infrastructure's deteriorated. Admittedly, the infrastructure bill will help. And yes, levy, levies like Katrina that were done post-Katrina, and in some cases some other levees in other parts of the country, particularly inland, have been worked on. But in a significant way, no. There's a lot of work that is far behind times in getting done for uh, levees um, in this country. And then we look at um, uh, the Biden administration, what it's proposed. Well, it talked a lot about climate change, and it has climate change provisions in bills in the infrastructure bill, for example, if you look at the highway portion, things are encouraging highways to be more climate resilient, let's put it that way. But when you look at it from the standpoint of sea level rise, which is the kind of flooding and, and damage that occurs post-storms, really we are not seeing very much at all. So, you know, local governments really need money to implement plans, because otherwise they're stuck with the fact that the more development that happens, the more property revenues they have. And therefore, that's a hard, in essence, drug to get off of, because you need the revenues to operate. And everything, it gets more expensive, whether it's schools, libraries, whatever it may be. Those are things that uh, local mayors, councils are need to finance. So, you know, let's look at the federal government's approach to sea level rise so far. 
It's just post-disaster heavy. Now, beach nourishment projects are the only ones that I see as a primary tool to reduce storm damages. Let's take a real hard look at those for a moment. They work. They accomplish their purpose, which is reducing damages. They actually, however, only cover the most highly dense communities in terms of dense population. So the bigger and higher and the buildings, the more likely you have beach projects. Uh, in New Jersey, almost every mile of developed coastline is covered by a federal beach project, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, I mean, as if, I mean, even portions of the Delaware Bay, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if any 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 popular area that you go to the beach in New Jersey, except for a, a you know very small handful of locations, have a federal beach nourishment project. Yeah, we have only one developed area of the coastline that is yet to, in New Jersey that mm-hmm. I know of that's yet to get a, a beach project. So the, the issue here is that you get. Uh, what, what do you get from from beach nourishment? You know, we certainly have been proponents, and I still am a proponent of beach nourishment. But if it does give you a false sense of security, or in the case of New Jersey, where there's other factors at play, oh, inclu- what like what? Well, the fact that New Jersey is sinking. Well, that's a small so, factor. <laughs> but it literally is. If you compare New Jersey to other er- other areas of the nation or globally, it's this the rate of sea level rise is almost. The perceived level of sea level rise is almost double because the land is literally sinking. It's porous. It's it's built on. Uh, I mean, I'm not a geologist. I don't know the exact words, but in essence, as if you go back, you know, millennia ago, when when there were glaciers, it was actually putting weight on on like a seesaw. Yeah, that's on what New I was Jersey, say. so it's propping up the coast. Yeah. And I know this is very hard to imagine, but now that those glaciers are gone, it's it's sinking under its own weight. So. I mean, I love New Jersey, but it's slowly going under. And there's only so much you can do for the natural coastal processes, which, I mean, look at the Outer Banks of North Carolina. That, over time, there's a reason that the Outer Banks sit out there like a ring. It's, yeah. well, it used to be, part of it used to be much higher above ground than it is now. Yeah. And I can only see the same thing happen in New Jersey. I mean, this could be 100, 200, 1,000 years from now. But I think it's uh, we're getting a wake up call here that. But in the process, it's happening faster and faster. Let's let's say it's a hundred years for a moment. Um, in the process, there's increased flooding that's taking place. So whether it's sunny day flo- flooding or whether it's high tide flooding or uh, full moon, high tide and king tides, um, and flooding there. We know that the folks in the local communities are well aware of it and are trying to do something about it. But they, here's another case where, you know, they're seeing people moving to their communities during the pandemic, for example, to the point where housing prices are being bid up, you know, all those. And, and yes, property tax revenues from the taxes on those prices, those high-priced homes, which were high-priced to start out with, but really... You know, back in the day, no, nowhere near what they are today. They're just out of sight. Not aren't even they? close. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the expert on it. You've been <laughs> to the coast, and I haven't. You know, lately. I, I mean, there are the property value increase from. I I can only think back to the '90s. From the '90s to what it is today, if you bought a house there, 
you uh, you're a rich person. Well, or you at man. least have a house that's extremely expensive. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's. I remember talking about this with a friend about two years ago and saying, "Oh, how much how much higher can these prices go?" And they just keep going up. But I mean, you look at who's moving in. It's the doctors. It's the lawyers. It's not it's not the same people who, you know, used to go to the beach. It's it's CEOs and president. I mean, it's the whole. Some people disagree with me here, but I, I feel like I see it with my own eyes. I mean, it's not. Uh, there, there are higher costs to living at the beach nowadays. I mean, you, a lot of people who are buying houses on the coast are knocking down the old one, raising up the houses, putting in these massive, you know, properties that are all raised. They're above sea level, but it costs money to do that. I mean, after Hurricane Sandy, it, even though FEMA was offering to help raise houses, you had to pay for it yourself and then expect the reimbursement. Yeah, that's a kind of a tricky way of doing things, and it honestly discourages certain people from either buying those properties or even just raising their house in general. So it's 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 gentrification in a way, almost. Yeah, and, and you said people, uh, different people. Um, a few years ago, beach houses were bought either to live in during the summer or to rent out. Now you're getting people who are there for just. A couple weekends out of the ah, whole summer? Is that it? I was trying to think of what the word would be, but they're really not there very much. So their investment in the community, even for the summer community, is an entirely different feel. But I, the issue is there's more property at risk to the extent that there are more people actually at the coast than there are more people at risk. So basically it's a very disturbing trend. You know, Increasing the resilience of coastal communities to withstand storms rather, is going to cost billions, maybe a trillion. And that doesn't include the extremely high cost of buying out homes so that you can get people out of harm's way. There was an article, I just saw a headline yesterday that was, it would cost $10 million to save the coast. I don't know if you saw that. I saw some coast with a ridiculously small... I mean, I laughed. Yes. I literally laughed. Yeah, I did. $10 billion to save the entire... I mean, you, you just can. no. If you saw that, no. The yeah. answer is no. It's not. It's going to cost a hell of a lot more than that, and it's going to take a lot of time. I mean, we got to figure out our sand sources if we're going to keep doing beach nourishment. We're going to figure out where we do need walls, where we probably don't want to put them. And if we're building floodgates... I think there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences of building those. Ma- I mean, it, there's only one way to tell, and it's it's by doing a lot of these things. But well, uh, just within the last don't know that day I'm in favor so, of some of it. Uh, the, the folks in Miami-Dade County uh, said no to the course plan to— Which is seawalls. Which is a huge, right. yeah, seawall uh, for the Back Bay area. And uh, they didn't even get to the front coast where they're— Planning a huge yeah. seawall of sand in that case, which is, you know, nobody's pleasure being at the beach and having a huge seawall of any kind. So I don't know what the answers are, but what I do know is that hard structures are going to be resisted as much as possible by people. In Miami-Dade, it was the business people and the environmentalists leading the opposition to it as well as a lot of local residents who were concerned uh, about the impact on their quality of life. Because you really go to the beach, most people do, that is, to enjoy 
the beach. You don't go to the beach and sit on the seawall, right? Yeah, exactly. You're going to sit on the beach. You're going to do your surfing. You're going to do whatever else. And, <clears throat> you know, that's not going to do it. A seawall is not going to do it at all. So I mean, there's areas, I think, out to Waikiki, for example. They've done beach nourishment. Yes. And they know that they want a beach nourishment project, but not a standalone beach nourishment project because beach nourishment alone is not enough. So whether it's groins, whether it's offshore reefs, whether it's other sorts of structures, I mean, this is going to be a multifaceted approach. And all the cities are facing the same thing. Is Not that the cities have a beach in front of them, but what sort of multi-purpose, resilient features that people, you know, when, when there's no bad weather, you can go and walk on or, you know, play tennis, basketball, whatever. But things that are designed to flood, much like you see in the Netherlands. But uh, it's going to be tough decisions. You know, it's, it, these are very knotty problems. We're not going to resolve them today, unfortunately, because I'd like to, and you would too, probably, Dan. But, you know, with 50 states, plus the territories, with, uh, what did I say, over 3,000 counties uh, and all of their subdivisions, all having, incidentally, the right to zoning uh, and a variety of other things which are reserved to them and not to the federal government, uh, we're going to have to get money into the hands of people as close to local governments as we possibly can, right into their hands, so they can start to plan. Because maybe the money will make people walk in their direction and say, okay, now we've got some money, but we actually have to do something other than uh, expand the existing two-lane highway to four lanes uh, because we have Cousin John is, uh, you know, in good with the mayor. You know, we just can't give away money. We have to be able to say that there are conditions on this money, but the conditions are that you, in the local government, together with your neighbors, because regional planning is going to be the way out of this, are going to have to figure out ways to get people out of harm's way to the greatest extent possible. And I think until the federal government provides the leadership and saying, we're going to do this if you will do that, states and local governments, until we do that, then we're going to be responding to disasters to a point where people start talking about, well, we'll no longer pay 100% of the cost. We'll pay 50% of the cost. The states will pay another 50%. So, I mean, the message here is local governments, state governments, I mean, from the smallest to the largest of state governments, speak up. Make sure that your, that your federal delegation knows how badly you need money, technical assistance, whatever resources that you need. It, speak up, because that's the only. That's literally the only way to get it. If your if your issue is not voiced, yeah, there's not going to be a solution. To the local government folks or just the residents that we're talking to here, every state has an association of local governments or mayors or both, and uh, same of counties, and the, the association of states in essence, is the National Governors Association, plus their national levels of cities and governor and, and mayors. Uh, you know, they represent inland and, at the national level, they represent inland and, and coastal. And obviously, state levels, they're going to represent inland and, and coastal as well. You on the coastal community, we're going to have to be hearing your voice at all sorts of levels that this is important, that you need to have the federal government paying attention to your future, because otherwise your future is 10, 20 years down the road. You have to start thinking in, that you're going to be losing house value. 
that you're going to be losing the population and that you're going to be sinking financially. I think, I don't know when, but that is a real concern. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the case. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's the end of our podcast today. <laughs> Not the best way to leave it, but the, but the message is please speak up. If you, if you have a need, please speak up. I mean, you, there is a load of money that is going to be made available in this infrastructure bill. So if you want a piece of the pie, then make sure you're in line. That's it, folks. Take Bye. care. We'll be back with you in October. Bye-bye.